Hey everyone, Dr. Pat and I would personally like to invite you to join us in our Grow My Baby program. This is week-by-week pregnancy and birth information developed from our experience of helping more than 4,000 women grow and birth their babies. All our links are on our website, growmybaby.com.au. The information in this podcast is provided for education and research information only. It is not a substitute for professional health advice. If you're trying to get pregnant or you are pregnant and you feel a little bit overwhelmed by all you need to know, then this is the right podcast for you. Welcome to the show. I'm Bridget Maloney. And I'm obstetrician Dr. Patrick Maloney. And this is The Kick, your expert-led podcast that delivers the essentials of growing a baby. Make sure you head to our website, growmybaby.com.au, to get some awesome free tools like our Pregnancy Knowledge Checker to help you feel like you got this. Welcome to the Kick Pregnancy Podcast. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Bridget Maloney. And I'm obstetrician Dr. Patrick Maloney. And today we're going to talk about what if I don't make the hospital in time? Yeah, this is a good one, isn't it? Because people, this it doesn't happen very often, but everyone thinks it might happen to them. Oh, absolutely. It's a big fear, I think, that people have. Yeah. Mm, I'm not sure it's a fear. It could be. It could be a fear for some. Oh, um, it's a fear. Yeah. 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 And... Um, where we live in Ballarat in regional Victoria, I, I look after a lot of people who live a long way away from our hospital. Uh, three hours by car mm. uh, is about as far as, uh, far as they come from. And so that, uh, that's actually a real fear for those people. And actually this is where this topic came from because people were sitting in our waiting room and I always go out and chat to them. And, in uh, all the time they're sitting there while I'm running. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they are three hours away. And so we talked about, you know, uh, not making the hospital in time. So in part one uh, and part two, actually, what we're going to learn is, first of all, think it's a good idea, Pat, for us to go through a quick run through of the textbook stages of labour. Can do. Uh, what can contribute to having an unplanned out of hospital birth or a, or what they are referred to as a born before arrival. Yep, BBA born before arrival. How common they are. And most importantly, uh, in part two, we'll go through if you find yourself in this situation, tips on what to do, and uh, if you've got a, hopefully you have a support partner with you, what they can do too. Brilliant. All right. So let's get stuck into it, Pat. We've already talked about um, born before arrival. Yes. But are there any other terms that we might hear that describe having what I like to call an unplanned out of hospital birth? Yes, that's so, my own term. <laughs> yeah, nice. Well, I think that that that's a nice descriptive term. Uh, as just so, we're not talking about planned home births. No, we're talking about where you, yeah, you were booked to go to the hospital or birth centre for hospital or birth centre style medical or midwifery care. Yep. And that's not how it turned out on the day. Yeah, yeah. I've also heard the term accidental home birth. Accident. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Unplanned. Unplanned. Yeah. yeah. Actually, I just want to say born before arrival. I mean, it makes the hospital the main thing. That's why I don't like that term. Oh, I see. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that's just me. All, All right. right. So tell us, uh, maybe let's go through the normal um, stages, like the textbook stages. Yeah. So the, the obstetric textbook sort of divides labour up into those stages. First stage of labour is from when we've got regular painful contractions that are causing the cervix to open right up until you're fully dilated. That's the first stage of labour. And how long does that textbook last for? Yeah, highly variable, uh, but, and we've got to be careful about strict time limits, but uh, but when you're having your first baby, then it can easily take about a centimetre an hour, 
and the progress is often fairly linear. Two centimetres, four centimetres dilated at four o'clock, we might expect to be eight centimetres dilated at eight o'clock. Yeah. Okay. And second and subsequent babies, very different progress. Uh, we might uh, creep up on three or four centimetres, but then we could go from four centimetres to fully dilated in half an hour. Yeah, wow. Okay. So not linear. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and then the second stage of labour is from uh, when we're fully dilated uh, until the baby's out. Again, that can be a slowish process with the first baby and much, much faster with second and subsequent babies. And then third stage, delivery of the placenta. Yep. And, you know, we might do a um, – we'll have to do something on this in more detail. Mm-hmm. But when you're advising your, say, your first-time mums, how long do you say that their first stage might take? Well, it might take 10 hours. Yeah. Um, and that's why we really concentrate on things like pain relief options because it's likely to be uh, yeah, prolonged and it's fairly likely to reach a point at some point or another when, when someone will say – now, what did they tell me again about pain relief options? Yeah. yeah. 10 hours is a long time to be in pain. Yeah. But second and subsequent babies don't need to, to uh, rely on that nearly so often because of the likelihood that round about the time when the woman might say, right, I really want some pain relief, she's not four centimetres, she's 10 centimetres. Yeah. Yeah. We do see that. All right. So uh, going back now to... Are we going to call it born before arrival? Sure. Yep. So going back to babies that are born before arrival, mm. you're fully intending to have your baby in the hospital or a birth centre, but you don't get there. Can you go through what some of the factors that could contribute to this might be? Yeah. So there are a small number of people who, for reasons perhaps we'll never know in that particular patient, just labour extremely fast. Mm. Okay. Uh, so um, if that's your first baby, it may just genuinely catch you by surprise. And there might not be a very long delay at all between the first onset of regular painful contractions and an urge to push. It's possible. Are Whole- they unicorns? They sound like unicorns. Yeah, they're yeah. unicorns. Yeah, yeah. So, ha- so, so you know, that's really quite unusual. And no one, should, no one should imagine that that's going to be them. It probably won't. Mm. The second and subsequent, yeah, different. Yeah. yeah, if you're having your fourth or fifth vaginal birth, it it can be very fast. Mm. And we've yeah. already mentioned that um, another factor is just distance to travel. Yes, yeah, so that's something that really needs consideration in advance, though, isn't it? So, so if I've got someone who's coming three hours to see me, then then we'll often make a plan that doesn't involve that person coming down in labour. Mm. Yep. And what about the women? You know, I never forget. <laughs> I had had Dempsey, our first, my first baby, and it was like a very, very long labour that ended up in an emergency caesarean. Um, and I was trying for my VBAC. And in the meantime, a very good friend had had her first baby. And um, I remember her name's Alex. Alex said to me, look, I just sat there and I just sort of uh, wiggled my hips a little bit and uh, I'd started contracting. And then a couple of hours later... She'd basically had the baby. Yeah, yeah. right. So yeah. It just, yeah. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> there you go. But she didn't have the telltale signs. Is that a possibility? Yeah, absolutely. So those things, you know, pe- people very interested in the in the last few weeks of especially their first pregnancy in, in signs that it might be about to happen. And people start to get a little bit perhaps nervous or concerned that they might miss those signs. Mm. So the things that we look out for, of course, are, are, you know, I want my patients to ring me if they're having regular painful contractions, if the waters have broken, if there's any vaginal bleeding, if there's decreased fetal movements 
or if they're half in, half out and don't know what to do. So that's a fairly brief list of things to pe- for people to call me. But but those, you know, you don't get all of those things. Mm. Sometimes you might you might have be having regular painful contractions, uh, but the waters might not break till you're fully dilated. Yeah. So, I mean, in my friend Alex, you know, she wasn't having the frequent contractions. She hardly had any pain um, and no waters breaking. She really didn't have any signs that the baby was coming. Mm. Yeah. It can happen. Mm. And yeah, mostly mostly not to someone having their first baby, but even that is possible. Um, I also saw that um, there are babies that are more likely to be born before arrival. Well, your premature baby is most likely. Yeah. yeah, that's right. So there might be something going on in that pregnancy that means that the waters are more likely to break early. The labour will then come. It might be very strong. And the main reason a premature baby will come quickly is it can slip out of the cervix before the mm. cervix is fully dilated. So if you're if you're only 28 weeks, then the cervix doesn't have to be 10 centimetres for the baby to come out. Mm. Interestingly too, um, more BBA babies are female. Yeah, I don't know what that's about. Mm. Well, this research paper was saying that uh, female babies tend to get in position better. Wow. Wow. <laughs> I, yeah, Pat that, is looking at me. That, no, uh, that's news uh, to me. Okay, I, good. I wonder if that's strongly in favour of female or weakly in favour of female. Mm, I don't know. Yeah, okay. I will find out and I will talk to you about it. Hmm. Good. All right. So these these labours um, and births that are BBA, they're usually quicker. That's what you're saying. Well, I think I think we can assume that if we didn't get to the hospital, things must have been going fast. I think if someone's in good labour, they're not likely to be just. Marking around, they're probably trying to get to the hospital. Yeah. yeah, and I know that that's called something. What's what's the name for a fast labour? We call it precipitate labour. Yeah, mm. I don't know. It's just because we like to overcomplicate things with complex medical words. Yeah, yeah. and it's good to know that because you know you might have a precipitate. Um, is that how you say it? Yeah. precipitate? Precipitate. Yeah. Um, labour, and hear that in the hospital. So yeah. it's good to know that term. So yeah, yeah, good. how do you define it? You want to know. That that's a thing because you if you, when you have another baby you want to be able to talk to people about the precipitate labour you had last time yeah because I, I think the main risk factor is actually how you went last time yes yeah if you had a, if the last labour was an hour long I think we should all be prepared for this one to be the next one to be half an hour long. even quicker yeah, yeah. exactly yeah. so is there a definition to know whether it is a precipitate labour. You're listening to the Kick with Dr. Pat and Bridget. How many times have you Googled something about your pregnancy? When I was pregnant all the time, Dr. Pat. (laughs) We get it. You may be confused or overwhelmed. It's normal to want information, but where's the reliable stuff from experts? Yeah. Now, if you like our podcast, Dr. Pat and I have developed an online program to help guide you through whatever stage of pregnancy you're at. It's taken us literally two years to put it together. Two long, hard years, wasn't it? (laughs) But, you know, it is a game changer in how pregnancy information is given. Now, how it works is uh, you get to sign up at whatever stage of pregnancy you're at. Like, So you could be pre-pregnant in your very early stages of pregnancy, late pregnancy, preparing for birth, or maybe you've just brought your baby home. And you get lots of information around that. And then you also get to join our closed Facebook group. We've called in all our contacts too. So we've got a dietitian, an anaesthetist, physiotherapist. Sonographer. Yeah, who else? A paediatric nurse, obstetrician, mother of four. Oh, just all the people you need to hear from. So if that's you, come and join us at www.growmybaby.com.au. Yeah, 
precipitate labour is officially where the baby is born three hours or less from the start of painful contractions. I think but we need to do a podcast on that. First yep. baby. Yep. First, first baby, yeah. Oh, only first babies are precipitate labours. Well, I think I think if, you, if your second baby is less than three hours, I wouldn't be too worried about that. Right, okay. I mean, what's the relevance of knowing about precipitate labours? The relevance is planning for next time. Yeah. In part two, we're going to talk about what to do if you are having really fast labour. Yeah. But I just wanted to talk about you've had your baby, yeah. maybe at home, maybe, oh, okay. maybe in the parking lot, maybe in the taxi. Does your baby still go to hospital? Yes, most people do, and I think that's a, I think that's a good idea. Yeah, yeah. So these are mostly an unplanned situation. People might feel unsafe or very shocked or surprised. Uh, we may not be past the danger period for postpartum hemorrhage. Mm. The drugs we use to prevent postpartum hemorrhage, you know, the syntocin uh, injection in the thigh to help. Um, shorten the third stage, uh, get the placenta out and, and uh, prevent postpartum hemorrhage, that won't have been given in, a, in an unplanned birth at home. And going to the hospital so those things can be done and the baby can be checked and kept warm and so forth is all still a good idea. Um, and I'm worried about things like, well, how do you record the birth time or their APGAR score or, or um, I don't know, measuring the mum's blood loss or anything. Do any of those things still happen? Well, I think we'd, we would look at those sort of things in the hospital in due course. Um, so try and quantify that yeah. um, later on. But those, they're just, they you know, statistics. If we don't get them, we don't get them. Yeah, right. Mm. I don't know. Talking about your, your baby's APGAR score for a new mum is, is just a topic of conversation. It would be hard for new mums that don't have one. <laughs> My baby didn't have a APGAR score. Right, well, <laughs> then you've got a better story. Yeah, you've got a better story, exactly. We're talking about birth before arrival. What happens if you're planning a in-hospital birth, but it doesn't work out that way on the day? All right, Pat. So um, I'm having contractions, and I thought I was managing them all right. Mm -hmm. But then all of a sudden, I've got an urge to push. Yeah. Yep. I'm still at home. Good. So urge to push is a is a, is a reasonably reliable sign that the baby might be about to come, and it's one that should be taken very seriously. So in that situation, we want to call for help. Mm. And, and the best thing to do is to call an ambulance. And after the ambulance has been called and you've taken some preliminary advice from the ambulance, then you might call the hospital birthing suite that you were going to go to or your private obstetrician or private midwife or what have you. But we need to get that ambulance on its way because even though baby looks like it might uh, becoming soon. We're assuming you're not an expert, and you're way, and you know you're concerned, and you want that assistance. Is there anything apart from the urge to push? Is there any other reasons to think? Well, I need an ambulance. Apart from bleeding, and uh, you know the yeah, no, yeah. it would be bleeding. Yeah, yeah, severe pain and ble- and bleeding. Yeah, they're, they're an ambulance situation. But what I'm saying is that is that. Other, there might be other scenarios where you've gone reasonably quickly into strong labour and you're having some really strong contractions. You start to think, well, hang on a minute, what if the baby comes before we've packed the car and, and got to the hospital? It's very, um, very easy to ring the hospital. And, yeah. and they have a 24 you know, birthing suites have a 24 hour phone uh, line for exactly this. So you ring up and say, I'm having my first baby. I'm getting really painful contractions. And they'll say, very good. How far away do you live? How are you planning on getting in here? And they'll give you some terrifically reliable advice about how to get there, you know, about what to do. 
And if that's call an ambulance, I'll say call an ambulance. If the problem is urge to push, that's a pretty reliable sign that the baby might be coming right now. Yeah. And the smartest first phone call would be to the ambulance and then to your, to, to your planned hospital later on. Yeah, oh good. that makes better sense. Good. All right. And so you've called the ambulance. What do you do now? Well, the ambulance will talk you through some some advice, um, and uh, and you know what they might even be able to stay on the line with you. They would be able to uh, certainly respond if the situation was was changing. And then we want to we basically you know if this is the situation we're really in, then we want to prepare for the birth at home. The good news is if the, if the labour's going this fast and you're at term, prematurity is a very different situation. But if the labour's going this fast and you're at term, it's probably going really well mm. and the outcomes would we would expect the outcomes to be good the dangers for the situation is mostly to the baby and it's mostly about the baby getting too cold mm. uh, so we keep it pretty warm in the hospital we've got blankets that we keep in a in a warm cupboard that's like a oh, they're so to- toasty i remember those <laughs> yeah, like i just like give me more of those blanket. things yeah, yeah exactly and um and we want to wrap mum and baby up and and keep it keep people nice and warm baby in particular kind of um, big surface area for their actual size and uh, radiate heat, get cold fast. Yeah, radio. Yeah. Um, and uh, gorgeous friends of ours uh, had a BBA and yeah. um, they went to the bathroom because of the tiled floor. Sure. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think they were possibly, just guessing, but possibly thinking that it's probably easier to clean up. To clean up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, so, you know, you can make those sort of choices. But what about getting down low or, like, w- what's the partner doing? Yeah, well, I think um, the partner should be doing supportive things like making sure that the woman is, um, is comfortable, that there that there's somewhere that that the woman can lie down, even if lying down is not her preferred birthing position. She, we want somewhere that she can lie down if that's what she wants to do. Uh, uh, and then we've got, yeah, plenty of blankets mm. um, for warming mother and baby immediately after the birth. Yeah. So first things that I would sort of say is that to the partner, birth's messy. Yeah, it's messy. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. It's messy. Yeah. Uh, so there'll be amniotic fluid and mm-hmm. there'll, there'll be blood. Yeah, and we'll have to cope with that. Yeah, we'll have to cope with that. Um, and so what's the baby's mum's pushed the baby out. Yeah. What next? Well, baby might come out crying and screaming, which is fantastic. Put the baby up on mum's chest, cover mum and baby with a warm blanket. Babies that come out uh, flat, they're not, they don't seem to be crying, they don't seem to be doing much, they respond very, very well to tactile stimulation. Yep. So the first thing you want to do is dry that baby off and do things that that you would find irritating, you know, because we want to irritate the baby a little what? bit to wake it up. Tease them. Yes. So, <laughs> so it's like trying to wake somebody up. So, you know, you, you get a dry towel and dry the baby off. Um, you can um, rub the soles of their feet firmly mm. with a with a dry towel. They don't like that at all. And what we're trying to do is, is irritate the baby, get the baby to take a nice big deep uh, breath, fill the lungs and start breathing. Is it the same? Properly. We've just come from a CPR training course mm. and, you know, part of it, uh, we were told an unresponsive baby, different, but unresponsive, you blow in their face. Is that yeah, the yeah. same thing? Absolutely. Hmm. Yeah. Right. So these are things that you can easily do at home um, that could that could literally uh, save a baby that was born uh, flat. Just so people know, how often does that happen? How often is a baby born at flat? Well, well, how often do you have to do these sort of stimulation to get the baby crying? Every day in the hospital, um, but a lot of those babies um, 
a lot of those babies would probably be fine. Mm. It's just that in 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 a hospital environment, we like to we like to treat problems before they happen. So if a baby comes out a little bit flat, we don't stand around doing nothing. We'll we'll stimulate the baby to to stimulate a nice big indrawn breath and and uh, get get baby over. Um, Back to mum as soon as we can. And, you know, also just so the partner and mum know, um, babies can come out a little blue, can't they? So that's that's normal for yep. them to be a little little bluish, especially around the periphery, and that doesn't mean anything's wrong. Um, it just means that, uh, uh, you know, if the, if the baby um, is crying and, and moving and the eyes are open, that's a, that baby's okay. Great. Yeah. Yep. Just snuggle on mum's chest and wrap them both up. That's really great. Yeah. Does – sorry, go. I was just going to say the main risk to mum is bleeding. Yeah. And there are kind of two really common causes of bleeding that that could potentially be managed in a home situation. Um, one is bleeding that's just coming out of the uterus and the and and the uterus responds very well to to being rubbed, okay? So if the baby's out um, and you just and the the there's a lot of vaginal bleeding going on, uh, if you feel the um, mother's abdomen, you, you can feel the the uterus. It's it, it should be tight um, and firm. And uh, if it's big and floppy, it needs a it needs a rub, just an external rub, and that can definitely help. And you might even feel it contract down under your hands, and uh, and the bleeding will, will will lessen. And then the other bleeding that's really serious can be really serious is bleeding from a tear in the vagina. Whilst this might not be something that everybody could commit to, it's certainly something you, that you, that could be treated in the home situation, because those tears will stop bleeding with pressure, just like if you cut your finger. Mm. So if if there's an obvious tear around the vaginal opening, with blood shooting out of it, you can put pressure on that, and it'll it'll stop. Ah. All those movies that you watch, and they just basically watch the woman bleed out all the time. Oh, they could be putting pressure that, on. That's your historical one. Oh that, my god, I'm so into historical your, uh, um, movies at the that's moment. Your Outlander. And- <laughs> <laughs> that we, we Don't can, give that away. We're better at we're better at fixing those these days. Good. All right. So, um, what about the umbilical cord? Not a drama. You can leave it attached. You can clamp it if you've got some sort of clean device that would clamp it, or you can tie knot it. Right. But none of that's really essential. No. No, because just, unless you live. Oh yeah. Well, I suppose unless you live three hours away. Yeah. You can, yeah. yeah. Uh, um, uh, you can certainly. Um, uh, leave it attached to the placenta. Yeah. Fine. All right. So um, I think we've actually talked about the risks in BBA. You talked about the main risk to the baby is hypothermia, so mm. keep the baby warm. The main risk to mum is the postpartum hemorrhage, and we talked a little bit about that. Yeah. So if the baby was premature, the same risks would uh, exist, wouldn't they? Yes, and, a- and I think in that situation you would definitely be keeping the line open with the with the um, ambulance and, and talk to them about what, you know, what sort of condition the baby had come out in. Um, and then the, the ambulance officers would take over when they got there. Yeah. Yep. And um, perineal tearing is the same risk and still needs to be, I suppose, checked in the hospital Absolutely. when you go in. Yeah. yeah. Good, good. Yeah. I, I can't imagine a partner <laughs> checking that out. Um, and Well, I think in the situation of heavy bleeding, maybe yep. we should. Yeah, right. I think that that's something that could realistically save a life. Yeah, wow. Yeah. As I said, not perhaps not 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 in what everyone would consider to be their skill set, but but um, you know, bleeding from around the vaginal opening will stop with pressure. 
in exactly the same way as cutting your finger will stop with pressure. Yeah, right. Uh, so the one thing we haven't talked about is what you do next time. Yes. So if, you, if you're pregnant again, yeah. what am I telling the healthcare provider? Yeah, I think that's really important because if you've had a precipitate labour, especially for your first baby, then we've got to assume that you're at very high risk of that happening second and subsequent. Plus, not many people are going to want to go through that experience mm. again if they weren't planning a home birth if they would rather have been in the hospital and it didn't work out that way. Uh, So sometimes when people have had, um, you know, difficult or unexpected or traumatic first birth experiences, they come and see us and say, can't I just have a Caesar this time? And usually the right answer to that question is we can help you, absolutely, and we can make a safe plan for you. But it doesn't necessarily have to be a caesarean section. Mm. For the birth after a a born outside the hospital um, situation, then there are a number of different things that could be um, planned. And for some of my people who live a long way away, we plan that they would come down to Ballarat at 39 weeks and wait and labour here Mm. spontaneously. Or we might examine them around 39 or 40 weeks and if the cervix is really nice and soft and put a put a at the examination we can put a gloved finger through the cervix and touch the baby's head then you know that that cervix is really good to go what we call favorable and that's a woman who's very likely to respond well to having her waters broken with a with a low risk that that intervention would would result in cesarean section and so you might say you might say well we don't have to do a seizure but let's just get you going in the hospital when we know you're already in through the front doors yeah. Yeah. So then it doesn't matter how long it takes. Yeah. You're already here. And do you find that some people do hold trauma from a born outside the hospital? I'm sure. I'm sure it, I'm sure it's uh, stressful for people and uh, even though the outcomes are usually good. Uh, so it's, it's not really what anyone what anyone planned. Yeah. Um I think the people who planned to have a baby in the hospital want to do that. Um, someone who wants to have a a um a safe um you know assisted home birth wants to do that. Uh and um and if something happens that's way outside your expectation, then that's stressful. Mm. So I think we've covered everything in this topic that we needed to. Today uh, we've covered uh, what is born before arrival, how common it is, uh, potential factors contributing to born before arrival, and importantly what to do if you find yourself in the situation when you just can't fight the urge to push. Excellent. Excellent. All right, let's move on to our segment. Myth or fact? So, Pat, in utero, amniotic fluid is basically your baby's pee. Your baby will drink about a litre of their own pee a day. Yeah, no, this one's true. So, in the third trimester especially, this is all, yeah, it's just pee, being peed out and drank and peed out again. Oh, my God, that's disgusting. No, it's not disgusting. It's just normal fetal physiology. It's fine. (laughs) Okay, people, you heard it here. That is fact. That is fact. Thanks for listening, everybody. All right. Tune in next week. See you then. Bye-bye. That's disgusting. It's not disgusting. It is disgusting. God, you're just in there just like sipping on a mirror and pee. I don't see.